And I always have some apprehension when we start out the message talking about exorcism. <laughs> it's not one of my favorite subjects. I don't enjoy casting out demons. I, I think anybody that really likes that, it's like, really? <laughs> Why? <laughs> but it's something that, that we have to deal with. And I think deliverance is an important ministry in the church. And there are many people in the body of Christ that are called to this kind of ministry. And as we unpack this this morning, I just hope and pray that you get a glimpse of what, how, how it impacts us, this unseen realm. And I want to talk initially here about uh, the supernatural worldview uh, that we need to have as believers. In the Western culture, we have a scientific mindset. We have a mindset that, that you know, we, we just believe in what we see. And it's hard for us. It's a little too mystical or a little too sci-fi for us. And so we just, you know, have this cognitive dissonance where we just sort of, you know, shut down because it's, well, well that just can't be, you know. And so uh, we need to see what the scriptures, you know, have to say. You know, what saith the scripture concerning this, you know. So chapter 5, we see Jesus is uh, basically talk about a sci-fi moment. You know, he wakes up from his sleep, you know, when be muzzled, see, stop, instantly, <laughs> silence. And they like, who is this guy? They are, they are in awe. They were facing a storm of near-death experience, right? That, at least in their minds. And then the next thing you know, now they've got a storm within. Jesus just calmed it instantly. Who is this guy? And they, they're in awe. And, and no sooner do they get to the other shore, probably about the midpoint of the Sea of Galilee. It's about 13 miles long. So about the midpoint on that eastern coast is where they, they land. And right when they you know, sort of get out of the boat, it's probably close to evening are getting close to dark, and this demon-possessed guy meets him. Oh, great. Thanks for the warm welcome, you know. So this is where we sort of pick it up here. Uh, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who was dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar, he ran and worshipped him. He cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered and said, My name is Legion, for we are many. And also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains, so all the demons begged him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. And those who fed the swine, they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw that the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told how it happened, that he who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him. But he said to him, Go home to your friends, and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Yes, I believe that would create a marvel in all of us to see someone who was that controlled by the enemy. I want 
want to ask you, what is your worldview? Do you have a supernatural worldview? I'm amazed that a number of evangelicals do not really possess a supernatural worldview. They really have a more of a humanistic worldview of things. They're more concerned about what is seen with their eyes on the horizontal axis than really what they can sense in the vertical axis and what's been given to us in the person of Christ. I mean, if you only open your Bible when you come to church on Sunday morning, you're going to be very anemic in your understanding of the scriptures and of biblical truth. One of the things that the church needs now, there is a famine in the land for the word of God. The word of God is not being preached as it ought to be preached. It ought to be taught from the pulpits, not this wimpy psychology three steps to help you be a better person type of thing, but knowledge of the scriptures. Christians need a good working knowledge and understanding of the Bible, and you only get that when you begin to read it. Read it from cover to cover, so it takes you a couple years. That's okay. So it takes you five years. Just do it. And then after you get done reading through it once, do it again. And just read it over and over and over again. I hate to, I, I've lost track how many times I've read through the Bible. And I'm going to keep reading through the Bible until I die. And when I get to heaven, I'll probably read it some more. So, you know, just don't ever stop reading the Bible. That's what it's all about, right? Some simple questions. Do you believe that there's supernatural beings of another dimension? We have this humanistic thing. You know, there are Christians that believe in UFOs. Well, I believe there's something there, but I don't think they're extraterrestrial. I don't believe they're from outer space. They're interdimensional. They're within the confines of this realm, but in another dimension. They're interdimensional beings, not extraterrestrial. And they're not cordial towards us. They appear to be, but they're deceptive. So people ask the question, well, where do these demons come from? What about fallen angels? In fact, there, you know, there are many people who uh, have come to Christ who once believed that there was not, no such thing as an angel, no such thing as the devil or demonic forces. Once you become a Christian and you're converted, that changes in short order. <laughs> you find out that there is a war. There's temptations and things that you and trials that you've never thought of facing that would that come upon you. But there are those who live and move in this realm who believe that once you close your eyes and you die, you cease to exist. And nothing could be further from the truth. We are body, soul, and spirit, and our body dies. Our heart, physical heart, stops beating, but our soul and our spirit will always exist. We are eternal beings because it was God who breathed the breath of life into each one of us. And because we are created in the image of God and have his spirit, we will exist forever in one form, place, one place or another, either with him or separated from him. And therein lies the challenge for all of us. There's usually a watershed moment that takes place in a person's life experience that changes uh, this denial of the spiritual realm. I, my mother, and uh, before she became a Christian, uh, and actually she didn't get saved until she was uh, near death. But during her days, she she dabbled in spiritualism and some you know crazy stuff. And so I I just went the other direction. I would I actually mocked and made fun of it all, and I just didn't believe in it. I just no, even though I, I <laughs> was lying to myself. You know, if I had really been honest with myself, I would have had to agree that there was something, but I really wasn't interested in finding out would be the real truth. And so I denied this existence. And there are a lot of people that they know within their heart that there's something else besides what they see, but they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to face it. Most everybody comes to face it when they're in a tough situation, though. Like, you know, I can almost guarantee, and I can't confirm this, but I can almost guarantee it that when people who are in an airliner and they realize that they're going to crash and then they've got just a few more minutes left before, they, before their impact, I can almost guarantee that I don't care how much they've you know, said there was no God or how atheistic they may be, I can guarantee you, 
I'd almost guarantee this, but I can't confirm it because I've never been in that situation before, that God crosses their mind. Oh, God, help me. A little late if you've lived your life selfishly for yourself at that point, but nevertheless, if you, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God can save people. Aren't you glad? I am. Now, becoming aware of the supernatural world should not be something that intimidates us. It should be, it's mystical and it's mysterious to us and that's okay. It, there's, it's not something that we should uh, ignore or uh, get caught up in as if that's the end in itself. It, just know that it's there and what's on the other side is important to us. There are angels. You know, the Bible teaches us, most of us are aware of this, that we have what people believe a guardian angel. God's assigned some angel to watch over you, protect you. But I also think the enemy has his angels that would like to destroy you. So it's, you know, there's, there's a war going on for, for your soul. There's a war going on for your protection. And um, thank, thankful we have uh, more on our side than on their side. Whatever conclusion you come to, it must come to you from the Word of God. It isn't what you think. It isn't what I think. It's what, what saith the Scripture. That's this, this is our, uh, our anchor. This is our place of, and our source of understanding. You know, so if we have an experience in the supernatural, we see a miracle or we uh, see something that's out of the ordinary and it looks to be something supernatural, then what do we do? Well, we, can we find that in the Scripture? Can we find an example of something r- close to that, what we've experienced? And, and then, then we have some good ground. We can study it, we can analyze it, we can come to a, a solid conclusion over it. And just, and just know that it's just an experience. If you can't find it in the Bible, but you had an experience, it's okay. And there's no necessarily think that it's bad. Just... Don't just keep it to yourself. It's just an experience. We'll have all kinds of experiences uh, while we're in this body between now and heaven. But that's, it's okay. But we always want to judge our experiences by the word of God. If I can't find it in the word, then just, okay, it was just an experience. Let's move on type of thing. That's sort of how I've come to, to deal with it because I hear lots of stories, believe me. And I think, well, okay, <laughs> okay. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> Can you guys, have you heard those stories too yourself? <laughs> now, so the question is, where do the demons come from? And again, the, let's go to the scriptures for this answer. In Genesis chapter 6, and many of you are familiar with this chapter, this was the uh, recorded history of time right before the flood. And there was an interaction between the angelic realm. The angels were are made in God's image, and they are imaging God in the spiritual, supernatural realm. They're, in, you know, many of them before the very presence of God. And they are given assignments in a, in, to image God and to carry out his plans. And a lot of it was to aid man and to help man, especially in the early days after creation. And they, some of these angels decided and were tempted by the beauty of the women. And they made apparently, so to speak, deals with sons of men to take their daughters and probably for technology. But whatever reason, the sons of men gave their daughters to these fallen angels. Now apparently, yes, it's a little sci-fi. Angels can manifest into this realm. And they have a human-like appearances. And apparently they, could, they took these wives and they had offspring. And the offspring is referred to uh, in the scriptures as Nephilim. So we have sort of this sci-fi thing going on, right? It's a little bizarre, to be honest. But this hybrid, hybrid being, this part angelic, part human entity was created by that union. And the Bible tells us that and in, in infers that these creatures were not savable they're not redeemable and it was through their presence and their activities upon the earth that evil progressed 
very rapidly, very quickly, to the point that, as it tells us there, that the influence that they had upon that, that every intent and thought of man's heart was only evil continually. And these thoughts grieved the Lord. And he decided that he would destroy the earth. And so, what is believed, and this is, you know, second temple theology for for the Jews as well, is that these every living creature died that was on the earth, on on the planet, the animal kingdom and all. Uh, I'm sure some many of the sea creatures survived, but the, the living creatures on the earth, all living things that breathed died. That means these. Nephilim and all the other mixtures of DNA that were messed up with the, the, the genes, the mixing of the DNAs and all, all of that died off. And if it had spirit, as an angel has a spirit connected with it, it was disembodied. These disembodied Nephilim became the demonic realm. They were created on the earth, so they were confined to the earth. Fallen angels have a greater capacity in that they are heavenly. And so they were not, they're not confined necessarily to the earth, but they have uh, authority to go in the heavenly. So we have these, an understanding of where these demonic beings come from, from the scriptures. And there's this interaction that takes place between our physical realm and the su- supernatural realm of the spirit. I kind of have this and you got sometimes you got to kind of picture things in your mind to get your your mind around it and i i think i've always kind of you know paul calls that said he was caught up to the third heaven so i kind of have this thing from the scripture that you know god dwells in the, the heavenlies right the the third heaven but and then we dwell in in this physical realm but in between there's this space and according to the scriptures it's a, a realm of darkness but this, in that spiritual dimension, is where these interdimensional beings, if you will, live and exist. These demonic forces live in this realm of darkness. And they have the ability to influence the things that go on in this world. And they're tremendous. It's really a tremendous influence that they impart, actually. And so, um, of course, when you're reading the Bible, you have to understand when the word darkness is meant it, it's more than just the absence of light uh, it is that but it, it's a metaphor for evil and it's a uh, <clears throat> things that are adverse to the human experience if you will and it's usually fearful if we have an encounter with a demonic force or anything like that it immediately is fearful to us and intimidating to us and this is, you know, as we read through this story, I'm sure the disciples were like, hey, I'm glad Jesus is with us. <laughs> you know, whoa. I mean, this guy was, he's probably one of those big Nephilim guys that got in there. I mean, you got a couple thousand guys living inside you. You got some power going on there, man. I mean, that's what it looks like to me anyway. The point I'm making here is that God doesn't want us to be ignorant. There's no way a Christian should be ignorant of what's going on in the unseen realm. Paul tells us that our fight, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, what we see, but against the unseen realm, the the powers of darkness, the rulers that are in high places, spiritual wickedness, all these things, these powers and principalities. And what's amazing is that Jesus has given the church the keys to the kingdom. We have been given authority, and these beings, these, these malevolent entities that want to do us harm, we have authority over them. We're not to be intimidated by them. And so this guy here is, we, you know, this man, this unclean spirit. So you have these different words here, this unclean spirit. We have evil spirits. We have demonic, demons. They're sort of interchangeable words uh, in the New Testament, and, and we're probably okay to go along with that. But when we start talking about those entities, we're talking about death. We're talking about separation. We're talking about evil personified. And this really, this guy, the way he was acting, that really in reality is rebellion personified. That's what the fallen 
rebellious angels did. They, they rebelled. They have, there's no control and no controlling them. They refuse to submit in any way to God's authority. They are totally in rebellion against God. And so, therefore, if they infiltrate a human soul and take, take up residence inside a human body, they're going to be rebellious. They're not going to be subject to authority. Uh, this guy could not be tamed. I mean, but what do we do in our culture? Do you believe there's demon-possessed people in our culture? Oh, no, that's only in Africa and third-world countries where it's very overt. If you've never been to a third-world country and been around that, it's just, it's right there. It's un- but why isn't it so overt here? Because we drug it. Yeah, well, we have, we have mental hospitals, and, and mo- many of these people are possessed. And we're going to, well, as we unpack this, you're going to see what I'm talking about here. It's always best to go to the scriptures. I, it's always best to think biblically about what you see with your eyes and what you experience in your, in your being and in, in life. Can I find something in the scriptures that substantiate what I'm thinking? And we need to think biblically. It's so important. Uh, Matthew 8 kind of gives, you know, this story is in, in, in other gospels there as well. Uh, but the people... This guy was so fierce that they would even go there. People wouldn't even pass by that area for fear of assault, probably. And so this guy was tormented day and night, uh, cutting himself, crying out. I remember years ago there was a, he was a friend of mine. He had accepted the Lord, but he totally turned his back on God. And I remember him being out. Uh, he lived with a friend of mine, and he would go out in the woods, and he was always crying out and carrying on. I mean, it's like, you know, of course we were young in the Lord at the time and we didn't know how to deal with this. Nobody, ta- nobody taught us about this stuff. I decided when I, you know, as I've grown in the Lord, it's important that believers hear this. It's not the most fun subject to talk about, but it's, it, we need to understand and we need to know. So uh, that's why part of my motivation here, besides that, you've got to go through the Bible and it's right here, so here we go, you know. <laughs> but notice this guy he spoke to Jesus, or he, there was a fear about him. And so he, he comes running to Jesus after he sees him, you know, from a distance. And then it says he worshipped him, not in the sense that we worship. Essentially, he bowed down. You know, there's a submission there, but there's fear. He is afraid. He's intimidated by Jesus because demons know their fate. They know where they're going. In fact, is this is one of the, the mysteries to them. The, the darkness, the realm of darkness did not know. They did not understand the incarnation. Okay, what is Yahweh attempting to do here? He's, he's, he's going to be a Messiah, but what is he going to, you know, what's going on here? They didn't figure it out. How do we know that? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, that if the rulers of this age would have known that in crucifying Christ it would have spelled their defeat, they never would have done it. He's not talking about Caesar. He's not talking about the religious establishment. He's talking about the powers and the principalities. This is his framework. This is Paul's paradigm. He has a supernatural worldview. And he understands. He talks about this a lot in his epistles. This, this unseen realm and this battle that goes on in the heavenlies. And so here we see this demon in, in his response to Jesus. There's a tremendous intimidation there. And I think he's trying to... to control the situation by asking questions. And that's usually a way that we take control of a conversation. We ask the questions. That means they have to, you know, the idea is they have to respond to us. I can direct the conversation. Well, Jesus sort of took that away by asking, well, what's your name? (laughs) Nobody controls the Lord. He's in control. He's always the biggest guy in the room, (laughs) right? Make no question about that one. Now, I will say at this point, if you are ever involved in an exorcism, first of all, don't be intimidated by it. You have authority in Jesus' name. You know, the, you, who, who, you in here who may feel you are the weakest Christian ever, you have more authority than any demon in existence. Not because of who you are, but because of who God is and what he's given to you in the person of Christ. There are those that in this ministry that they they like to get in conversations with demons. I don't think that's necessary. 
Now, we know that they have names, obviously, uh, but I don't need to know a demon's name to cast them out. And actually, it, be, it will just become, why would I want to have a conversation with a liar? Because they're just going to lie to you. And I don't really care what his name is. He's just not supposed to be there, so it's time to, for him to move out. And so that's the way you, it's just going to be a distraction if you get into a conversation with them. Now, we know that they're, they're real beings, and they, have, and they have personalities. I mean, this demon apparently saw Jesus. He spoke to Jesus, and he had preferences. Don't send us out of the country. We know that through the scriptures that demonic forces are territorial. There are certain you know, powers and principalities. There, there's different levels. And so for whatever reason, these guys didn't want to leave the area. I don't know if they... If they leave the area, they got to start at another, you know, at the bottom rung and work themselves up in their little kingdom. I'm not sure how that works, but for some reason, maybe they just had inroads there and they were used to it. Or these people were easy prey. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Uh, but they didn't want to leave the area. The thing you have to understand about the demonic realm, and this is very important. This is first of all, these guys should have never. They should never. Have, have come into an existence, right? I mean, there was sin in what happened in Genesis 6. But even more importantly, they are out of order. When you, when you think of miracles, there's different things that come to mind, you know, because we're going to talk about healing here yet. And, in, and, and when a person is delivered, there's a healing that takes place. And in this case, what has to happen, something... Is, that is there needs to be removed and taken out of the way. It's, God is a God of order. And, and when something is out of order, he's given us the authority to put it back in order. And besides that, when you see the damage that these, do, these beings do to other people, to human beings, it, it'll give you a righteous anger. It, it, it makes it, you, know, it just, it, you just get mad. And, it, and it's not, it's just, you realize they're getting over on these helpless individuals of, who for some reason have yielded themselves, who've opened the door and yielded their will and allowed these entities to come in. And now they have, now they're slaves. And so what you're doing in, in exorcism, you are putting things back in order. And that's really what Jesus did. What do we see here? The guy was sitting under authority, in order, clothed, and in his right mind. Isn't that a beautiful, isn't that what God does with all of us when we're saved? We're running around with our heads cut off. We're running around. We have no clue where we're going. We're in a fast pace in a way to, you know, kill ourselves, really. And then the Lord sets us down, delivers us, clothes us with his righteousness. It's just a beautiful picture of salvation there. Gives us a right mind. We begin to think like God thinks. We begin to have ordered thoughts and ordered lives. Now, <clears throat> again, just to substantiate some of this, in Matthew twelve forty three, we learn that these demonic spirits are disembodied spirits. And this is sort of substantiate what we're talking about from Genesis 6 there. Matthew twelve forty three says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes to dry places. Seeking rest, and he finds none. Then he says, well, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Understand, all that these demons want to do is to destroy. That friend of mine... He's a childhood friend, actually, that was screaming and carrying on in the woods. You roll the clock another 20 years ahead, and he ended up taking his own life. That's what the end is with demonic activity. That's not When that yoke is unbroken and that demon is allowed to exist, eventually they will kill their host. They're destructive beings. But what we see here in this testimony of this man is... What Jesus, or what was said about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. That every knee will bow, and those in heaven and those on earth, 
those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is Lord, and every knee will bow. This demon bowed, and this demon-possessed man also bent his knee before the Lord of glory. Remember, the Bible tells us that Jesus came. This is one of the reasons, and this is why the church should be engaged in this kind of activity. Even though it's not really desirable for us, people open themselves up, and out of love, out of compassion, we should be delivering people from the clutches of Satan. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and now he's left us here to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. I think I tried to explain that again uh, to us last week. We have this dual nature within us. When you're born again, you are born after God. God's seed remains in you. He cannot sin. You're, it is your born-again new man does not sin. It's your old man, the carnal man, who sins. And what is being said in this particular verse, since we're here, is that if you are truly born again, your sin nature will be crucified. It will not have dominion over you. That yoke is broken. You will overcome. God will make you to overcome. When you love Him and serve Him, you will overcome. If you live, you say you're a Christian and you continue to live in sin, you're just deceiving yourself. You've really not made a commitment. You are in word only, not in any action. So anyway, this whole deliverance ministry was again evidence that Jesus had power over all things in heaven and in earth. Now, here's where it gets a little sticky. And I know I'm spending a lot of time here. And if I don't get through the whole chapter, you'll be fine. We'll get there next week. I'm going to read three verses to you. And I'll expound on these a little bit. Luke 7, 20, 21 says this. When the men had come, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Now Luke 8, chapter, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom. And the twelve were with him and certain women who also had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And now Luke six, seventeen through 19. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples. And great multitude, multitude of people followed from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him. And he healed all their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. I think what we have to understand is that not all physical illnesses or maladies are caused by demonic forces. There are plenty of germs in this natural realm in which we live. But, make no mistake about it, the scripture shows us that these evil entities... These demons can inflict illness and sickness upon humankind. So, there's a rule of thumb you should adopt as a believer. When you begin to feel ill or sick, you need to ask the Lord, Lord, is this, is this of the enemy or is this of the natural? And he'll guide you to what you need to do. But how do we know this? Well, look what he did to Job. I mean, this is pretty easy to figure out, really. This isn't rocket science right I mean he put he inflicted him with boils he, we, he for some reason look these guys are toast they know it they have nothing better to do 
that make life miserable for us as humankind. That's their job. And besides that, I don't think they're really fond of being disembodied. They're looking for a host. They're looking for any infiltration, any influence they can have in a negative way upon humankind. So let's understand that what's going on here. Now, on the other hand here, a, a demon-possessed person does not have a disease. I mean, a disease doesn't talk. A, de- a disease doesn't jump out of the, you know, guy and jump into the swine. That's, 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 a, that's an entity of some sort. And so you, you, you just, you can't, I believe every situation must be approached with prayer. Okay, Lord, what's going on here? Always approach every situation that we face when you're getting into the, the supernatural, because we can't see really in totality what's going on, but that God knows, and his spirit lives within us, and he can let us, he give us inside track. He can give us words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Knowledge is, okay, what's really going on here, Lord? And then wisdom, what do you want me to do about it? So when I'm working in the area of exorcism, I know that probably there's a very good chance there's more than one guy in there. And I don't want to talk to the guy who's, ta- who's manifesting per se. He can be just a major distraction. I want to get to the head honcho. The, the, there was a legion here, right? 2,000? That's quite a couple thousand guys in there. You want to talk to the, you want to address the head guy. Otherwise, they just kind of sit in the back and let the, the little minions take the beating, right? And get them cast out when they remain. You want to address the main one. And so uh, it's important to have an, a little bit of knowledge of what you're working with. And, and how did I ever get into this, right? I mean, in regards to having that experience. Well, just reading through the Bible, I realized that the Lord again, sent out his disciples. Preach the word, cast out demons, and heal sicknesses. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what they were doing. And I, and I was always intimidated. Preaching the gospel, that's, I can get that one. That's, that's usually harmless, normally. <laughs> Unless they got you know, stones and they're going to throw at you or something. <laughs> but you know, it's, the, you know, the, it's the sci-fi thing that gets you a little worried, like, whoa, I don't know, you know. But I asked the Lord to teach me. And so he'll teach you. If you ask the Lord to teach you and show you, and you want to be used of God, believe me, he'll, give you, he'll bring you into situations that need to be addressed. You know why? Because God loves them. God has compassion. God doesn't want people to be tormented by these guys that are out of order. They have no business being here. They have no business afflicting humankind. And it's our job as the church to clean up the mess, if you will. Now, also get asked this question, can Christians be demon-possessed? Well, short answer, no. What's confusing for some is that the word that's used in Scripture, diamonis omai, is to be possessed. It's the same, it's used throughout the Scripture, and whether they're attacking a believer or, or Paul under a satanic attack, you know, he was buffeted, you know. Um, it's the same word, so there's no real clarity, right? But here's how I think we can frame it so that, it, that you get it. When we're talking about possession in particular, what we're talking about is ownership. Anybody that is not of God, and what I mean, anyone who has not been born of the Spirit and, and been translated from the kingdom of light, darkness into the kingdom of light is subject, they are, in, they are enslaved to Satan. He, he's, he has the rule over death. He, that's, God's given him the realm of the dead. And, and, and the realm of the dead, he has authority over those that are separated from God. Dead and death means separation. So until I was born again, I was in the slave market of sin. And Satan had dominion over me. He possessed me in that sense. Now some people go to the point where they open themselves up and they do get literally possessed by a demonic forces because they yield themselves to the flesh and refuse God's authority in their lives. And the more a person rebels, common word here, the more they'll, Satan's allowed to infiltrate 
their lives and do destructive not only in their lives and their hearts, but also the people around them. How many have relatives that are out of control? It's probably because they're in rebellion. And when you're in rebellion, it's as, as the sin of witchcraft, which opens you up to the demonic realm and therefore you become under that control. So when we're talking about ownership as a Christian, Jesus bought me out of the slave market. I'm no longer under that dominion of darkness. I've been translated from the darkness into the light. So when we think of demon possession, think ownership. A Christian cannot be owned by the devil. He can be hassled, demonized, yes, oppressed. I don't know about you, I get hammered a little more than I'd like to admit, and I don't really like it. I wish I would. I don't like. I don't like spiritual warfare, but it's real. And I, you know, I want to walk close to Jesus, and I don't focus on the devil. Like what my pastor used to say, I like to keep Jesus between me and the devil, <laughs> just like the just like the disciples were. Hey, you take care of the demoniac, Jesus. We'll just sit back and watch this one. Woohoo! That's the way I like it. You take care of those guys. I'm gonna stay in the background. And that's, that's a good way of looking at it. But just know that you are in a battle. You haven't experienced warfare, just okay, just ask the Lord to open your eyes to it. You can give me a call later in the week. I'll help you through it. It's war, and it's real. And Satan's playing for keeps, and he's out to damage people. And we don't want that to happen. So that's probably the best way to frame that idea as far as be, can Christians be possessed? No. It's, it's about ownership. Satan does not own the believer. It comes down to it, Jesus just wants us to know. He wants us to understand. He wants us to understand uh, what we're involved in, in his kingdom. Looking at my time here, <clears throat> let's let's read the the first four verses here of the next paragraph, twenty one through twenty four. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying. My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and that she may live. And so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And now a certain woman had a flow of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had, and there was no better, but she grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came from behind him, in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt her body that she had been healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Who, who touched my clothes? And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling and knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I know I'm going more than four verses, but hang on. <laughs> and while he was still speaking, she came to the ruler. Uh, some came to the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when 
He had put them outside. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and he entered into the, where the child was lying. And he took the child by the hand and said, Talitha Kuma, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were all overcome with great amazement. And he commanded them strictly that they should, should that no one should know it. And he said something should be given to her to eat. So we have healing here and the resurrection of the dead. But one of, one of the things I want to point out here is that the ministry of Christ was very, uh, let me use the word organic. It was very natural. It was just through the f- natural flow of life. They go back and forth over the sea, which was probably a good way to break up the crowds and, and for Jesus to isolate himself. I mean, it's pretty in- amazing how... God organized the ministry of Christ in that regard. And so wherever Jesus, at the, by this time, wherever Jesus comes, it doesn't take long for people to find out when he's there and people start talking and the crowds come. And so what we see here is ministry happens in a natural way. I don't see Jesus going up on, you know, well, let's break out the program, Father. What, what's the program for today? You know, some, you know, some board meeting and let's figure out what we're going to do here. He doesn't have a private meeting with his disciples per se. Oh, yeah, I think there's a demon. I know there's a bunch of demon-possessed gatherings. Let's just go over there and check that out. I think it's, they're just going about their business, and that's what we need to see here. Our ministry as the body of Christ is so organic. It's so natural. It's so in the flow of what we've been called to do. Wherever we live, move, and have our being, God wants to use us as ministers. So you're going to run into people that are demon-possessed. Pray for the gift of discernment. Pray that God shows you what to do. You're going to run into people that need to be healed. One of the I've got to share this testimony. Well, you know, we need to pray for our brother Bobby. Uh, he's needs open heart surgery type of thing, and he he went to to a place to pick up some supplies, and he couldn't. He made it known to the guy that he better not try to lift it because he's got some got a heart conditioning and and he didn't want to overdo it. And so this other fellow standing nearby heard that. He offered to go help him load it and then come to his house and unload it. And so he did that. The guy was, you know, felt like he should do that. So when he followed there and he got to the place and they were going to unload, it, he says, "Well, you know, I did come to unload it, but that's not the real reason I came." He told him that he came there because. He wanted to pray for him that the Lord would heal him. And see, that's what I'm talking about. That's how life happens right there. Are we too busy that we can't take a few minutes to go do something that needs to be done in the name of Christ? You know, whether the Lord heals Bobby in that way or he uses the doctors, you know, that remains to be seen. But the important thing is that that man was obedient to the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. He saw that, he saw, he heard I can do this. When you see and you hear and you have the capability of doing something, that's God saying, you do that. Don't think you can't cast out a demon. Don't think you can't lay hands on someone and pray for them. Yes, you can. Notice, you know, and this happens with some people. Uh, I've had friends that, that have prayed for people and they get healed. Sometimes they sense the power of God go out through them. That's why we lay on the laying on of hands. What does that in, in mean? It, it's identification. It is transfer. And so when people touch Jesus, there's this transfer of, of divine power. And what happens in healing is in, you know, if something is out of order, as in demon possession, then God puts it in order. But if something is broken or torn or uh, not that needs to be regenerated, then God recreates. Sometimes it's putting things in order, and sometimes we're praying for the power to recreate. And you can ask God, what, you want, what do you want to do here? What's going on here? And he will show you if that person, you know, it might be some internal organ. It might be a back problem. It might be something, you know, don't be afraid to, to work in this arena. You might be surprised. I, the, the gifts of the Spirit are not for leaders of the church only. It's for the body of Christ. You, some of you have gifts like this. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And they're dormant because you're intimidated. Maybe you haven't been taught. Maybe you haven't taken the time to, to ask the Lord and to seek it out. It's exciting. You start, start searching the scriptures. Let God use you. Get an understanding. Educate yourself. 
And watch what, when you begin to use the gift and walk in the anointing that God has called you to, your joy, your walk with the Lord will flourish. Some of you feel kind of stagnant. You're like, yeah, I don't know. Didn't really feel like worship today. You know, the stagnant, you know how it is? It's because you're, you're just setting on your leaves. You're setting, you're setting on something you should be using. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you got that sedentary lifestyle going out, and then you try to go out and run. <laughs> it's rough sledding, right? But if you stay at it, it's, you know, you don't, it, I could do this. It's the same with our spiritual gifts. Once you start to exercise them and you walk in them, it's a joy. And not only that, not, but it isn't for self-satisfaction. You have to be, you're motivated by love. Go and tell people how God has had compassion on you. That was the words of Jesus to this man. Isn't that great? We're, we're giving people healing. We're setting people free. That's what it means to image God. You're walking in the authority and in the power that's been delegated to us. Well, why doesn't God do that? Why, isn't there this, why doesn't this happen in our midst? And God is saying, you do it. I've got to be honest with you. I struggled with this scripture. When Paul's shipwrecked, he's on the island, and he publishes, Father's sick with dysentery. And the Bible says Paul, they, Paul went to him, and Paul healed him. Like, what? I, okay. Paul healed him? Oh, I thought God healed him. That's not what it says. How do you how do you how do you square that? He was being obedient to God. I am agree, I am just carrying out my mission. I lay hands. I pray. God does the work. That's all He's asking for. Just be obedient. Just be obedient and watch what God will do. It's a joy. It's a wonder. You guys okay with this? All right. Shall we stand? So, I don't really know how to end this. In, in one sense, I mean, this is like, boom, <laughs> chop. <laughs> I feel like we, as a body, as I'm thinking, you know, in terms of the body of Christ, I think we need a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit upon, upon our congregation. I think we've been challenged by the scriptures this morning. And maybe there's somebody here that you are really not feeling well. And you know that there's something going on in your body that's not right. There's something out of order or there's something that needs to be healed. There's some of you who've been pricked in heart that you need to step out and begin to walk in your gift. So I think it, it will be in order here is that we take a few minutes in our closing worship here to just seriously pray and ask God, Lord, what is it you're saying to me? What are you speaking to my heart? And just pray that back to him as he speaks to your heart. Maybe he'll just give you a word and then you need to take that word and you need to think on it, meditate on it, and, and see what that means a little bit later this week. But if you need prayer, I'm going to be up here and a couple of guys are going to be up here. We'll, we'll, we'll just, let's just wait on the Lord and see where he leads this. And I'll close this in a few, a few minutes here.